Welcome to The Map, the mental health and addiction podcast. I'm Andy Bernstein, your moderator and co-host, and we are a podcast dedicated to discussing mental health and addiction in an open and honest way. And obviously, this is a very important topic since mental health and addiction is affecting one in five Americans. Uh, We have a great guest today, Woody Giesman, a founding member of the rock group, The Del Fuegos, Boston-based band and founder of the Right Turn Inc. And we'll hear from Woody in a few and catch up with what he's up to and learn more about his organization. Um, But first, let's meet the team. Of course, Kristen Perry Long. Chris, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Uh, thank you. Um, Chris Hello, Perry. my name is Chris. Yeah. Hello, my name is Chris, even though it says Andy Bernstein under me. I'm not Andy. Um, and I am with Aware Recovery Care, which is an um, IHAT program. It is a um, in-home addiction treatment. And uh, if you'd like to learn more, reach out. It's, it's awesome. AwareRecovery.care. Yeah, we we actually had a uh, follower of our show uh, log in last week or who was following our show about benzodiazepines. Mm -hmm. And um, she reached out after the show um, with some help. And between Chris Willie and uh, Sonia, our guest, we made sure that person got the help or help her with information. So um, feel free to reach out to us and we'll do the best we can to help you, uh, you know, get on the, get some direction or where to go. Um, Also joining us is the one, the only Willie Drinkwater. Who who are you, Willie? And not uh, existential. Sort of an existential question. Yeah, Um, I'm an educator for UMass Boston in the Addiction Counseling Education Program. Uh, I have a private practice where I work with people that have addiction coupled to co-occurring disorders. And it's it's interesting that we have the woodman on on today and stuff because my my first office for private practice was with right right turn when they were back in Arlington. So So we're going to learn more about Woody and his organization and a few, but I thought I'd share a quick story. You know, we talk about mental health a lot on this show and, um, and, and, and I'm going to bring this up because I think it's important to hear about, um, you know, all that glitters isn't gold. Right. And we think that, Oh, um, you know, what you do for a living or, you know, how much money you make, um, mental health still affects us all. And, um, so I had a friend who, uh, died, who recently died. I just found out about it last week and, uh, been pretty devastated about it. And my friend, his name was Greg Montgomery and he was an all pro, uh, punter in the NFL. He played for the Oilers and Ravens for nine years. Um, he was an all American at Michigan state and he was actually uh, selected on the Michigan state all time team. So I met Greg about 10 years ago at the Super Bowl media day and we like instantly hit it off. And while we're, we're talking, I, I started, we started talking about mental health and addiction at the event. And he told me how he was bipolar and suffered with depression. And it's funny cause he was kind of ahead of the curve cause 10 years ago he wanted to use his platform to end the stigma. So, um, he had done a lot of work with uh, NAMI as a way to share his story and, you know, appear at golf tournaments and stuff. Good dude. He was a really good dude. Um, but, you know, athletes were not speaking out at that time. That wasn't like in vogue as it more is now, um, more is now as it is now. Um, and uh, in fact, the NFL actually did a feature on him called living with bipolar in the NFL. Um so, you know, we stayed in touch over the last 10 years and, um, you know, poor guy was struggling to really find a place in the world. Uh, he worked for Nick Saban as a consultant. He was teaching punting to his players at Alabama. Um, so last week I heard that he succumbed to his mental illness. Um, I don't know what that exactly means, but um, that's what happened. And, and so on paper, this guy had it all, but I'm just bringing it up because it proves that, you know, mental health can affect us all. Now, the funny part of this whole story that I met with Greg is, we're, so we're sitting there at the uh, immediate day and we see Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes and Greg goes, hey, 
there's Andy Rooney. Let's go wake him up. Now, Andy Rooney is slumped way down in his chair sleeping. So we knock him, we, we wake him up and say, Hey, can we get a picture? So we hear like this with Andy Rooney. It was, it was really funny. And um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, if you had any. I'm sorry about your loss. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know, uh, Willie, you sort of touched on it a little bit last week, and it really resonated with me on the seasonal bipolar disorder, or you called it something else, but... um, Seasonal affective disorder? Yes, and it it does affect people with bipolar, right? They have that seasonal bipolar. It's the adjusting. Yeah, well, you, yeah. I mean, I mean, over the years, we're working the inpatients for for fifteen out of my thirty two. What you would see is, you know, classic bipolar disorder. You know, the the fall and the winter would would, would be depressive stages, and then the spring and the summer that they'd be getting manic. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, the Scandinavian countries now have the highest rates of alcoholism and suicide in the world. And then you stop and you take a look at it and you know, you've got six months light, six months dark. So, so light is really huge. I mean, I know in my own house that we, uh, you know, in the, uh, I have one. in the bathroom, yeah. we, we actually have a Lux light in the morning, Lux light. It has all the color bands of the sun and stuff. And it really can be a major boost sitting in front of it for 20 minutes to to half an hour a day. I took your advice on that. I actually got one. My wife got it for me for my uh, for for, uh, Christmas. And uh, I've been using it ever since. And it's it's awesome. Like definitely helps. And uh, obviously getting sunlight. Like a a plant, like like a plant, but you got to get out. There has been talk going around. I don't don't know how far it's going, but there's been talk about trying to hold off on doing daylight savings time this year with the COVID and the mood that everyone's in and depressive factors that, you know, maybe maybe we should not do daylight savings time this this fall. Not to be Debbie Downer, but do you guys see that there's going to be more cases of of, of suicides during this time? Well, well, they had the article in the Globe Sunday. They were talking about the methadone mile, and they're seeing that, you know, the overdose rates are up, suicide rates are up, violence is up. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's going to be, uh, it, it, it's not in a good place. I mean, with Go- Governor Baker a few weeks ago, he put in for federal disaster funding, and yeah. uh, a chunk of that he wanted for mental health. So, I mean, it is like survival of the fittest right now in a lot of ways. It's kind of you, you kind of see where the rubber meets the road with people mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, um, being strong during this time because it's up. Oh, look, she's on her phone or she's uh, oh, I see my ear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, I hold on. So I didn't get to finish my thoughts on that. Go ahead. I have um, I have a person that I've been working with and um there's been a change, there's been a shift. And they were recently diagnosed with bipolar and um, the personality disorder. And, and you know, and I, I asked, I said, you know, you've been on these meds for a little while, have you had a med check? And they said, no, what's a med check? And, you know, there's been a shift in the behaviors and the mindset and everything else. And it was, is what you said, William, like, you know, call the person that prescribed you, mm-hmm. call your doctor, ask for a med check i said because you could be like experiencing this this change with that we get with the weather and and everything else and the and the time and so you know that's what they were doing and it makes a difference i mean i think it's you know it's all about raising awareness and it's all about getting educated and so yeah 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 i mean it isn't often spoken about but you know from from old school, if you're on any psychopharm medication, they should they should be doing a reevaluation every every twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, even sooner, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. almost monthly, I would say, right? In the beginning. Well, well, I mean, if you're on something like lithium, you need you know, or Depakote, then you need to get blood draws, you know, to to see what the levels are and stuff. And you know, it depends on the doctors. Sometimes they'll say once a month. Sometimes they'll say every every three months. Right. As, yeah. as far as levels go for, for stabilizers. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for letting me share about my uh, my friend because yeah, it was it definitely months. it definitely no thank you it definitely bummed me out because uh, you know it was like I said I didn't talk to him all the time but um, I knew and we had him on crossjack you weren't with us at that point but um, I knew that that he was struggling all the time so he'd go on and off the radar screen 
yeah. from time to time. So anyway, uh, let's move on to uh, our guest today. Who, yes. um, we can let in. We can let him in. There he is. There he is, the man, the legend, <laughs> Woodman. Okay, so, <laughs> so joining us now is Woody Giesman. He is the founder of Right Turn Inc., which provides comprehensive outpatient and inpatient treatment for substance abuse in a caring, creative environment. Woody is also in long-term recovery, and O was a founding member of the legendary Del Fuego's rock band. And uh, welcome, Woody. And I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Drinkwater, who will start the discussion with you, sir. So thank you. Okay, we need to get the Woodman's microphone out now. <laughs> am I? Am he I? Could there you are. There he you could are. do Panama. He could do. He could do Panama. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Woodman. Good morning, Woody. I think the, the the first time that 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 we we met, I was working at Widden Memorial Hospital on an inpatient side, and Woody came in. He was in to see a client at that time. I, I don't know. Were you with the PAC teams then in those days? Yeah, at that time I was working for the Department of Mental Health. Yeah, 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 yeah and stuff. And he happened to see the LADC on my name tag, and he said, "Hey, I've got this thing going over in Arlington." Why don't you drop by? And then I, I drop by for like what for an eight year period or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, no, it was the first place where, where I had you know an actual office for for doing a practice in and stuff. And I've always appreciated that. And want to say thank you again, Woodman, for that. You're you know, welcome, really. That uh, started me off. But I'm gonna turn it over to you. What, what have you been do, doing with Right Turn these days? What's been going on? So yeah, well, Right Turn has been um, you know. Uh, uh, providing uh, services virtually um, through the pandemic. Um, we have a, a day program and an evening program uh, billable through insurances. Um, and, uh, you know, with a multidisciplinary team approach, um, we, uh, we treat people for substance use disorder and co-occurring disorders. So, uh, Rose Danner, who I know you know, Willie, yeah. uh, is our prescriber, um, and she has 40 years experience working with people with dual diagnosis issues, yep. um, and, uh, you know, we're under the medical direction of uh, Dr. Sanchez, and she's a, an amazing psychiatrist, um, uh, but we have a, a, an amazing, powerful team of master's level clinicians under uh, the clinical direction of of uh, uh, James Patterson, not the author. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love him. <laughs> uh, and we have a, a day uh, uh, program five days a week, and we have an evening program three nights a week. Mm -hmm. um, and we do, you know, a full range of medication assisted treatment, uh, evaluation for uh, um, any kind of co-occurring disorder uh, and treatment for that as well. Um, but as as you all know, you know one of the things that makes Right Turn kind of special is is that we we do DBT and CBT and you know cognitive behavioral therapy. We do all of these therapies, but kind of under the umbrella of creative expression with music and art therapies as well. You know. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how did you know? J just for the audience and stuff, how how did how did everything get started? You know, what was the uh, what what was the background of you know the thinking to to come up with Right Turn? So that's interesting. So back in two thousand and one, uh, Doctor Ann Alonzo, who was the head of advancement of psychotherapy at Mass General Hospital, said, you know, I've heard about the work that you're doing. Um, why don't you meet me for lunch? Uh, and I'm like, well, who are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not existentially, but like, yeah. Yeah. and so I, you know, um, I met her for lunch in Harvard Square, and she said, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna write a check, and you're gonna open the doors and turn on the phone with no expectation. Let's just see what happens. And um, 
you know, I was really uh, intrigued by this. Uh, uh, and, and, and of course, I was like, seriously, you're telling me what I, who are you? <laughs> um, that you're telling me what I'm going to be doing with the rest of my life. But it, it you know, it was a really um, um, wonderful experience meeting Dr. Alonzo. She was an amazing, uh, amazing psychologist. Um, but with my experiences working at Cambridge Health Alliance, uh, and working for the Department of Mental Health. Um, and of course, some of you may know that I cut my teeth at Hope House 25 years ago. Um, uh, so with all of these experiences, I, I, uh, um, I created Right Turn, which is a, a kind and gentle and warm and welcoming uh, environment um, with a multidisciplinary team approach so that we can handle anything that comes through the door, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was important to me to improve access to treatment. So therefore, we're in network with certain insurance companies and, and out of network with other insurance companies. Back, backing up for, you know, you, the first part of your, you know, you, you said uh, what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Speak a little bit about what you did before and how you transitioned Um even before that, your 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 previous life. So yes, it's true. I used to be cool a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was a Warner Brothers recording artist with the Del Fuegos. We got signed out of Boston and went to Los Angeles and recorded a few very successful records and toured with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and the Kinks and ZZ Top. You know, it's funny, man, because ZZ Top was our first kind of exposure to the big stage. Uh, we went from the Rat Skeller in Kenmore Square. <laughs> the Rat. To, oh to 300 sweaty bodies on a Friday night uh, for our record release party to Nassau Coliseum on a Saturday night with, with Billy Gibbons and the, and, and the uh, uh, ZZ Top uh, to 18,000 Cedar. Um, so... From there, um, our records went well, and we we uh, made a number of records with Warner Brothers, and we toured nonstop, you know. Um, but in 1990, by 1989, um, I, I had to look in the mirror and say, you know, this is a problem, um, and I've been uh, I've been in recovery for uh, since then. Um, and 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 so. How did you say, okay, this is where I want to shift? What was like the, the you know, uh, you know, because like Willie's background is in uh, comedy, you know, his previous life was in comedy. Um, how did you decide, all right, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life? What, what inspired you to do that? You know, I think it was a conversation between Bill W. and Dr. Bob, and um, the uh, uh, psychoanalyst um, Carl Jung, uh, where they said, you know, 12-step recovery is wonderful, but sometimes people need professional help. And, um, you know, a year into my sobriety, I, I left Los Angeles, came back to Boston and decided I needed to be that professional to help people get well and well enough that maybe they can hear 12-step recovery or whatever it is that they that is going to help them. But, um, you know, assessment has always been kind of my strength and being able to, and, and, you know, that's why the Department of Mental Health kind of pursued me was to be able to evaluate and assess um, substance use as under the kind of Dr. Albanese and Ed Kansian self-medication hypotheses of, um, is this the chicken or the egg? Are we dealing with substance use? Is it a symptom of something, a greater underlying issue, you know? Um, you know, since then, uh, Governor Baker has appointed me to the Board of Registry in Medicine where I'm now serving my second term and, and uh, have become the secretary to the Board of Registry and Medicine um, to talk to doctors and have these types of conversations, you know. And, and do you feel like, like 
we're making progress in that area compared to other states? Or do you feel like we're kind of ahead of the curve in our approach to this? You know, I, I, I'm really grateful for Governor Baker, um, and I really do believe that he gets it. And, and Mary Lou, Secretary Mary Lou Sutters is just amazing. Um, and the combination of the two of them have really put us, to me, um, um, uh, ahead of the curve in terms of really understanding the, the need to support behavioral health um, services. Chris? You're being quiet. Shocking. I tried. I was. I was saying earlier that I. So I have um, uh, COVID apnea, or they they like said there's some there they have some sleeping disorder and it's all uh, pandemic related. So I have pandemic insomnia or whatever you want to call it. But anyway, I was watching um, Bohemian Rhapsody the other night at yeah. two o'clock in the morning, and it was it was kind of like really eye-opening to like the background of, you know, we always growing up, we always saw music people as being wealthy and having drug problems, but nobody ever talked about it. They weren't overdosing and dying. They weren't, you know, they weren't really talking about it, but in the end, like, you know, he died from, from AIDS and it was sad, but if you think about like where the world has evolved and how everything is, we're just cycling. We're just cycling through life. And we're just, things are happening again. That happened a long time ago, or maybe not so long ago. So, you know, Willie, I don't know if you've seen, or what if you've seen an increase in um, people that were at home and now are starting to be able to go back to their jobs, the alcoholism, alcoholism is, has skyrocketed. And what goes along with that is the depression and the mental health and everything else. And it's crazy because we've always had alcoholics, right? I mean, they've always been there. They've just never been so prevalent. Why now? What is, what is so different about alcoholics? And, and Woody, are you seeing an increase in alcoholics? Or are you just still seeing the, everything? Well, you know that I mean, interesting question, and and I'm seeing an increase of everything. But I, I think that at, at you know, in terms of the Commonwealth, we have um, have noticed that the sale, uh, the alcohol sales, have increased greatly during the pandemic. But I think it's also a, a fair statement to say that there's a little underlying kind of depression across the board, across the globe. Um, and and why wouldn't there be? But um, um, so I, did, I, did that answer your question? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I, I think it's I mean, I've just been dealing with some some case managers and they're just like we kind of keep getting like flooded with people that are that are trying to come out of out of their homes, but they're finding themselves, you know, connected to the bottle and it's not allowing them to get out of their homes, which I don't know. I mean, I just, then I watched the 16 and in recovery last night. And, you know, if you want to really get an understanding of, of addiction um, and you're naive to it, I, I highly recommend watching that show from beginning to end because the kids interpretation of it is very um it's very real and it gives you a really good i mean we've all been in this for a long time and we have a really good grips on it but last night you know like last night i went to bed with tears in my eyes because these kids are so sick and they are so suffering and they they not to you know spoiler alert but they lost one of their members of their classes because and this is where the system with, with certain insurances, the director, Michelle, had a bed for this young man. He was willing to go, but insurance said he had to get a medical clearance through the hospital. He went to the hospital. He sat in the hospital for six hours before he started to go through withdrawals. He walked out, he overdosed, and he died. And, I mean, that's a common story here in Massachusetts. I'm sure it's a common story everywhere, but we have to change how, and I know we are, but we have to change how we're dealing with this. There can't be all these barriers. Um, you know, I, I, I was working with a, a man that's um, a cop 
and he's an alcoholic and he has really severe PTSD and his insurance has put a barrier on the services that he gets. And, and, you know, he has PTSD because of his job to me, you know, his job caused his PTSD. He worked on homicide and I can't imagine some of the stuff that he has seen pandemic has done whatever it has done. And now he can't get into treatment because of his insurance, because it's a barrier. So, you know, and you raised a good point, um, Chris. And I think that this is part of the reason why I accepted the invitation by uh, Mary Lou Sutters and, and Governor Charlie Baker to join the Board of Registry so that I could have a voice and, and be a part of this conversation. You know, it's about education, it's about relapse prevention, but it's also about improving access to treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really been my goal at Right Turn is to be able to um, to be able to uh, answer the phone and say, Let, let's get this person help. Um, but it's, it's tough and we have, we're up against insurance companies and that whole conversation, but I'm happy to be a part of that conversation. Hey, Woody, um, you know, we talk about services. What are some of the services that you provide? I know that you uh, provide a caring and unique approach. Tell us about kind of what makes you guys unique at Right Turn compared to some of the other facilities out there or other other programs. Well, I, I think thank you for that. And and, it, and we do have a reputation for being a kind and gentle and welcoming uh, program. And that that's very important to me that it's client centered. And when I say client centered, um, our staff is a multidisciplinary team approach with a full continuum of outpatient services um, to be able to um, to not only um, handle substance use disorders, but to identify and treat the underlying issues. Um, you know, we have an intake the other day with a, a gentleman who's over the age of 50 and he's been using alcohol for, um, you know, 35, 40 years. And, and um, uh, you know, I said to him, how long have you been depressed? <laughs> and he said, how did you know that I was depressed? Well, to me, it's a no brainer. And Dr. Albanese outlines it in his book of self-medication that that the, the substance is clearly a symptom of what's going on here. Right. So um, the, the, the piece that I'm proud of at Right Turn is, is that we have a very capable staff uh, to handle, to identify, evaluate, and treat people for their, their underlying issues, you know. Um, and Willie, you know, you and I worked together in mental health for quite some time. And, and you know, we, we get it. We, we yeah. understand that when someone comes to us, they don't feel well and they're they're. Um, but it's our responsibility to help them identify what's really going oh, on. God. Right. Yeah. Yes. Do you see that your backgrounds, you know, because you and you, you both, you and Willie both kind of share um, a similar background, because, or in the sense that you were doing something where you actually were both in kind of industries that drugs and alcohol were a big part of it. Willie, you being in in the comedy, comedy world, yeah. yeah, and Woody, you being in the music scene. How has that? that experience transformed into the work you're doing today? Does it allow you more empathy? Are you like, do you have a cooler, less clinical approach to, to this whole thing? Mm. I mean, I mean, it's always case by case, you know, I mean, you know, I want to, I want to base treatment on the patient's story, you know, what, what's the story. So I think it's important to get, it's important to get the full story from somebody before you, before you formulate a plan. But, you know, again, it's like, I began in quote addiction, you know, at, at Caspar, which was a freestanding detox in, in Somerville. And, uh, you know, I was there for three years, but I was always like, I was always interested in the patients that never slept, the patients that never got out of bed and the patients that were talking to people that were not there. So, you know, I, be, I became fascinated by that. I go, now there's gotta be more, more to addiction than just drugging and, and drinking. And that's, that's when I left, uh, I, I went from that to doing a 15 year stint of inpatient psych addiction, locked door, locked door units and stuff. And it's like, 
oh, these are these are these are some of the possible causations for what's going on. I'm seeing as far as addiction goes. So, but but you guys, but I I would imagine that even for what do you look at it differently? Because I know from my understanding is you did a lot of work with musicians. Um, you know, from I think you had mentioned that in the past you kind of have worked with different musicians as counselors for them. Do I have that right? Yes. Um, yeah. Um, it, you know, I was in a very high risk field of uh, being a musician. It's very, uh, at, very much at high risk. But let's be clear. Let's be perfectly clear. <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> let's be clear. That creative people are creative people, and they're, um, you know, they, uh, there is a lot of high risk going on in there, but there's also a lot of, um, um, a, a lot of uh, mental health issues in within the arts. Mm -hmm. I'm also a painter. I'm a musician and a painter. Right. Um, let's be clear. Van Gogh was not a well person. Uh, his life did not end well. Um, um, and as well as Tom Petty and and um, you know, a number of other people uh, that we, you know, from Jimi Hendrix to to uh, uh, you know to Jim Morrison to uh, all of them. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting with the comedy scene because you know you could. You, you could you could generally get a feel if there was something going on because people there were those that had a stage persona they'd go on stage and they'd be you know boston style it'd be manic it'd be fast it'd be quick if they came off stage and they were the same way it was like hmm maybe maybe we need to have a chat so that's what bruce you know bruce said in his book he was saying look i could never possibly be the person that you see on stage right he's like you could never see that and he, and he also said that uh, and Bruce Springsteen, not uh, uh, Bruce Cockburn or any of these other uh, another music, but yeah. but more of a um, you know Bruce is like had battle with depression, serious depression, um, and I think you know even his Broadway show I think was a way to kind of uh, get that out daily. Of I'm going to get that out. Um, the question the question I have for you, Woody, is as far as um, creativity i mean is are there different fits for right turn or is it like would you say eh, you know what you're not necessarily plug into or like is everybody the right fit you know i mean that's a really good question and and, and the the answer is that you know we provide comprehensive services across the board but Right Turn is a uh, is a freestanding agency that um, that the people who find us I call them Da Vinci's uh, and just briefly you know there was a little research that identified the DRD4 dopamine gene that they call the creative gene oh, they call and it's they they found it through uh, Da Vinci and um, so people that find uh, right turn um, would get good evidence-based treatment across the board, uh, but the people that tend to find right turn are people who have not responded well to treatment in, um, you know, in institutionalized types of programs. That they, um, yeah. But but what I'm very clear about uh, with our staff is is that we're a, a kind, gentle, trauma-informed. Uh, um, therapy type of program uh, that should be able to uh, identify, evaluate, and treat uh, um, not only substance use disorder, but the underlying issues. So anyone's welcome, but the people that find us are typically da Vinci's are creative right. people that think outside the box a little bit, um, but anyone's welcome. Right. But I would imagine that, yeah, um, I'm a creative, I'm not an artist and I'm not a, a painter, but I, you know, I, I see things in, um, you know, marketing and advertising and just, you know, kind of the way I look at the world. Um, so I think, and that was always the case. And I, I would imagine that, um, you know, there's some people who, you know, 
it's probably very important for you to have relationships with a lot of, um, you know, practitioner providers so that, you know, they understand like, oh, your person is not able to respond to the typical treatment. So I would imagine you really have a lot of relationships across the board. Well, you know, I've had, I'm very grateful for my experiences and it was all over the Boston globe that I, I traveled and with the Rolling Stones for a period of time. And that, that, you know, a, and as an artist in recovery myself, I, I kind of like to, um, to uh, tackle the whole perception um, of, you know, drugs and alcohol are going to help me be a better artist, a better performer, a better um, creative, a better songwriter, um, a better comedian, um, and, and just kind of tackle that perception, the whole perception that drugs and alcohol are helping you be a better artist mm-hmm. or a better person, you know. Right. So obviously, Willie, we have people, you know, like, um, you know, many comedians who are very well known for um, their substance use, you know, um, uh, Richard Pryor, who um, was very, you know, and and there are many comedians who think, well, if I do cocaine, I'll be funnier. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We just we talked about that with uh, we had a, a comedian. Rick, Rick Jenkins. Rick Jenkins and and, and the yeah. two of, you know, Willie and Rick were like bantering back and forth and they're like, yeah, you know, we do coke before we go on and then we have to drink alcohol to be able to slow down. And then we you do, do coke, you go on stage, you come off stage, you drink your way down, you do coke, you go on stage. And the last one to do coke was called the designated driver. Yeah. Right. And it was like, you know, you, 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 you turn off the show and then like for me, like everything gets up here and then it just all starts to resonate. And I think about it and I'm like, the insanity that you must have been living from show to show to show, like, and the toll it must have physically taken on your body. I I can't, I have a hard time sometimes wrapping myself around it. And it's, you you know, know. yeah. And, and to talk about the underlying causes, there's a, there's a comedian well, well known on the Boston scene. And, you know, he talks about it himself. I'm not going to say names, but, you know, he talked about, you know, uh, his 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 whole thing was ADD, and when he, he would start to do coke, it would actually balance him out. But you know, you sort of lose the therapeutic effect when you've been awake for three or four days doing it straight. You know, it just really doesn't work out that well. So, yeah. you know, you can't you can't use coke for ADD for you know an extended period of time. But, yeah. but there there was again there was someone with an underlying issue. You know, and uh, you know, well, so if you're if you're bipolar or you have any kind of mood disorder hmm. and you have ADD and you're using as you know and you don't address the bipolar. And, you know, a cocaine with an Adderall could send you off the rails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked with clients with, with bipolar disorder in the comedy scene. And it's like, you know, they really they really believe what they're creating and writing is like, you know, un, unbelievable. And then then, you know, finally, when they have the crash and they come back to middle to middle earth again, you know, they look at what they wrote. and They go like, wow, this is crap. But at the time they were so high, they thought it was like, wow, this is the best line I've ever written. <laughs> I'd love to get somebody, maybe you guys can find somebody. I'd love to get somebody to talk about um, like AD, ADHD and ADD and the meds that they use because- I could talk about it. The young man that they had on last night on 16 in recovery yeah. said that he had been on it. He had been on ADHD medicine. He had been on Adderall since he was like uh, seven or eight years old. And he never, it didn't help him like it. And nobody listened to him, but just because he behaved, they figured the medicine, you know. Well, you know, there's, him. there's studies they're doing in the Scandinavian countries now where, where, um, you know, they're, they're doing it in the, uh, in the schools where, you know, instead of what they do is that is they'll have a class for an hour. And then after that class, they'll do 15 uh, minutes or so of, of dancing or jumping around in something physical then they sit back down again for another hour of classes because what they're finding is that you know when when, when you're you know in an adolescent early teen you can't sit still for more than an hour well, so it's it's not it doesn't mean that everyone is add though right so what you but know 
This is this is kind of a passionate area of uh, conversation for me, Chris. Um, I I use a book um, called the uh, Mindfulness Prescription for Adult um, ADHD, um, which really provides people with coping skills and strategies of how to navigate ADHD um, in an effective way. Um, you know, I just uh, and. You know, stimulants or non-stimulant medications may be a part of the equation, hmm. but you, all, as we all know, that if someone has a history of substance use disorder, then they may not be a candidate for a stimulant medication. Because well, the thing, the thing that like I'm, I'm dealing with is like I'm raising, have been raising my grandchildren, and we are in working, we are in um, reunification process, but she has ADHD and. Like she's got Mexican jumping beans and red ants in her pants 24 seven. And, um, Is that a clinical term? <laughs> <laughs> and she, well, I'm honestly, oh, she's yeah. just a fidget, you know? Um, but they put her on, um, Adderall and I fought it and I fought it. And the therapists were like, no, there's studies, there's studies, there's studies. And then I just watched 16 in recovery last night. And I'm like in a complete mind panic because am I setting this kid up? for failure. Like, have we, we've tried coping skills. We've tried the, the, you know, be a monster and get all that energy out. And I just think that like a lot of people just don't have the time or the patience to deal with it. So here's, here's the magic little pill that'll calm them down. And next. I take it. Okay. And I, I think I've, I, I've taken it. Um, and I will tell you that that with uh, uh, some other meds has made all the difference in the world for me in my life. But, but I do the, the work, right? It's not a magic pill, right? So I do the work. I don't, I don't drink. I, it's part of your process. Right. Right. It's a tool. Right. But I'm doing the work, right? I do the work. This is like one of the reasons I do the show. I love it because I get to talk about this stuff, right? It helps me. It's therapeutic to me, but I'll tell you that my life changed immensely when I started to tackle, you know, my ADD and, and, and anxiety and depression. When I started tackling that, I had no need to want to drink anything, right? I just don't like it, right? It doesn't feel good to me. But it's not because I had a compulsion. It's just like I just needed something to, you know, you 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 almost like you need something to take the edge off, right? But I did it in I got uh, I did it in a much earlier time in my life. But I think if you just take the medicine, whatever it is, it's not going to you you need to build a whole program around it. Would you agree? Well, so, you know, I try to teach the people that I'm working with, um, and, and recently I've been working with Dr. Henry from uh, Mass General Hospital um, uh, on a, a case of uh, psychosis and ADHD and substance use disorder, that if we're going to use medication, that the medication is only 20% of the equation. It's the other 80% of the, the, that, that, that Dr. Henry defers to me on in terms of coping skills, strategies, mm -hmm. um, uh, mindfulness gotcha. practices, DBT, cognitive behavior, right. ACT. It's very important that we incorporate, that we, we, we use these things, not mm -hmm. just teach them, but that, that they use these things. Yeah, and it's cool. Correct. And, and, and it can have a very successful outcome with medication combined with these types of inter, uh, therapeutic interventions. Correct, because I get really annoyed when people start criticizing Adderall. Well, you know what? I don't abuse Adderall, right? I don't abuse medication. I stay very regimented on whatever medication I take. And I have somebody who I have my medicine regulated by, right? And I... But I know when people say, oh, well, I, I tried Adderall, it didn't work, or I was bouncing off the walls. Well, if you say they were bouncing off the walls after taking Adderall, then that tells me there's something even, uh, uh, you know. That tells uh, me you're possibly not ADD. Right, or you could be bipolar and have a mood disorder, and that um, is not a good combination for you. 
if you're not taking any kind of like mood stabilizer on top of the ADD, the ADD is going to work. This is my, my understanding that. So, so, so not to like derail you, but like, think about all the people before pills were invented, right? What, what, did, what was their coping? And, and it's our society created us to be has the foods that we eat, the lifestyles that we live, um, so on and so forth. Is that what creates all of these mind I mean, medias, I, I guess you could say? I think the new wave in psychiatry now where, you know, I mean, it used to be the pill was the answer, but I'm, I'm seeing more psychiatrists now that are really talking more about talk therapy again, as opposed to, you know, medication first necessarily. I mean, you know, there's there's a book that you can read, Mad in America. I think it's Robert uh, Whitaker, and it's all about the history of psychiatry in the United States over the last 50 years. But isn't there chemical stuff, though? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys see that. There's maybe, like, if you have heart disease, you take medication to help you with heart disease. If you have addiction... But what caused that heart What, what, what caused, caused that heart? What caused that heart disease? I mean, we're in a society that says, give me a pill, fix me now. Right. You know? If not, if not yesterday. So, I mean, that's something that, that we're fighting against constantly. So, you know, this is this is why I, I I'm so grateful for uh, Dr. Albanese, Mark Albanese's book on treating addiction as uh, self-medication. Yeah. You know, um, it it helps us kind of take a step back and 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 consider the medical model. You know, the uh, medical approach of medications, but to take it a step further. And I'm grateful for my experiences of being on the board of registry in medicine so that I can have these conversations and be a part of that, that, that conversation dialogue. with yeah. the, the, the dialogue with doctors. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, a, you know, a case num a number of years ago where a woman came to me to say, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I said, well, I don't know. But, you know, in the end, um, she's now been sober for 11 years, but we discovered that she had uh, hypothyroidism um, and that she had, um, a, you know, she had an imbalance going on there that once corrected, she was able to, um, she was able to function at a different rate, you know, yeah. she, she chose sobriety in the end. Uh, and maybe she is, al she drank alcoholically, but, uh, nonetheless, there was something driving and a hormonal imbalance that was driving her, her, uh, alcoholic like drinking, you know? So we have to really step back and look at this, look at the whole person. Yeah, case by case, too. Yeah. I have a qu question for you, Woody. Um, you uh, obviously um, have a lot of credibility working with, um, you know, the state and being um, chosen by, selected by the state. Obviously, um, they really value what you, you bring to the table. Um, it should be noted that Right Turn is a nonprofit. That is correct, right? Correct. Okay. So you're different than other other places out there, right? This is not a, um, you know, a paid. It's not a Delray, Florida. It's not a Delray, Florida. It's not, not an American, American Addiction Center. And I'm going to say it. It's not American Addiction Centers because they're in bankruptcy anyway. What? I know. But the fact that you have um, credibility, um, you know, and being you know, obviously they, they respect and understand and appreciate the way you, uh, your approach. So um, I think people are in very good hands with you. Um, and if somebody wants to reach out, where would they go to reach out to you or to the, to right turn? How would, how would that? Yeah. So um, very simple. Um, give us a call at 781-646- 3800 extension 101 and you'll speak to alicia who is our intake coordinator she'll do the screening and set you up for a, um, an intake and put and help you understand what level of care um, would be helpful um, whether it's a day iop or an evening iop or medication assisted treatment or just basic outpatient therapy um, and if and she'll be happy to um, uh, to just explain uh, all the full range of services so 
Very simple. 781, just call 781-646-3800 and, and go to extension 101 to speak directly with the intake person. Excellent. And, and where are you located? Yeah. We're virtual right now, but the clinic is in Watertown. Um, Woody, do you have anything coming up as far as, uh, obviously we're in a pandemic and it's very hard to do any kind of events or fundraisers, but do you have anything coming up that you would like to highlight? So, uh, oh, by the way, and we have a family group that is amazing for family members and that's every other Monday night. Um, and we have the artist and recovery group on Thursday nights. Go to I was about to ask you about that. Is that virtual at this point, Woodman? You know, we have had some of the most amazing speakers with yeah. through this pandemic. We recently had um, uh, one of the founding members of Megadeth and Megadeth. We had uh, one of the founding members of Bad Company, and we had um, a member from Utopia and Todd Rungrant's group speak. Um, um, and that's awesome. And um, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts was another speaker. Um, but nonetheless, go to our Facebook site. Um, we don't have any fundraising events, and our Del Fuego's reunion show has been postponed until um, until further notice. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Yeah, I really great to see you. It. It's uh, it's always nice when you have somebody with uh, the the credibility and the the creds. He has the credit. Yeah, like you're credible. You're not a marketer. You're like you live and breathe this. You have um, so you're 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 legit. So um, so thank you, Woody. Thank you guys. You guys, thank you for um, allowing me to be here today. Thank you. Be well. Thank you. And that's our show for the week. Thank you to Willie and Woody and Chris Long, the great Chris Long, and of course Mike Weber. Back at Thank our, you, Andy. Of course uh, you. And of course, me. pillow shots. Thank you. Thank you. That's another story for another day. I'll bring day. you a pillow tomorrow. All right. Thank now. you, sir. Thank you, sir. That's the right of old age right now. That's like the right of spring. Anyway, that's our show for the week. We will see you next week. We have a great guest planned for next week. We have to actually have someone from the Samaritans, Kathy Marchi, is going to be our guest. And um, she'll be on nice. next Wednesday. So, you have been listening and watching The Map. Have a great rest of the week, everybody. Take Bye, care. Guys. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Oh.